you're a note taker, you can take a picture or click on that QR code or you can go directly there if you put in fbcdan.com slash notes and you can get my notes. It's basically my slides is what you're going to get. But you can also take notes on that and then email it to yourself when you're done. So uh, that QR code or fbcdan.com slash notes will take you directly to it. We are still in Romans. Uh, we have two more weeks of this series, but we will not be in Romans 29 through 32 for the next two weeks. But we will be there again today. So Romans chapter 1, verse 29 through 32. We started this series last week looking at um, what we can consider pretty little sins. What we can consider sins that aren't quite as bad as the ones we put at the top of the list. Uh, but the, the problem with that and the thing about sin is all sin causes damage. All sin causes harm. All sin hurts us and hurts the ones we love and grieves the Holy Spirit and sent Jesus to the cross and breaks the heart of our Father. All sin. Now, does all sin have the exact same level of ramification in our earthly lives? Of course not. Of course not. That would be illogical and foolish to say that. It does not all have this exact same level of damage done in our lives, but all of it does cause damage. And the more we overlook things that we consider not to be that big of a deal, the more likely we, the more likely we are to commit them often and then cause damage over time. So that's why we're looking at this. It's just we're looking at the lists in the New Testament that have the lists of sins. And, I, and we looked at last week, we looked at gossip, which there was, there was so, I got so much positive feedback throughout the week from last week. Actually, I didn't have a single conversation with a single person from this church. I didn't, I didn't get any nasty emails, but Josh and Jessica were the only two people that talked to me all week long. And they did it with a frown on their face. But uh, <laughs> no. I was going to joke that we canceled the series and we're moving on to something else, but we're not doing that because, <laughs> because sin matters. Sin, sin, is a, sin is something we have to address. So even if you're mad at me, we're still going to look at it. It's God's Word. So there we go. So let's read this together. Starting in verse 29. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. So this is Paul laying the groundwork for the description of humanity. He goes through a few phases in this whole section. First, it's, it's, it's not trusting what God has said. And then it's turning to idolatry. And then, because of turning to idolatry, it turns into these sins. And it's really the description of the, of the history of humanity. And that, the, and that this is going to progressively continue, which obviously bears out true in our world today. You can read that list, and almost all of that is on steroids right now. Because when we turn our back on God, when we turn our back on the truth of God, when the created decide that they will worship whomever and whatever they want instead of the creator, then nothing good 
comes from that. Now, Paul's making a case for the Gentiles, but then he flips the script on them and turns it to the Jews, the Jewish Christians, in this letter. So it, it really encompasses all of us. We can all fall into this category. Even if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you can fall back into this sin. And, and that's, not the, that's not the testimony that we want to live, and that's not, the, that's not how we want to treat the God who loves us and the people around us that matter most to us. We don't want to live in a way that causes damage to those that we love. So we're looking at four words today, and it's verse 31. And I like the way the HCSB, which is what I usually preach out of. I get asked that sometimes. I usually preach out of the HCSB English translation. I like the way that it keeps it literal but makes it readable. And the reason I like the way the HCSB does this specific verse is it keeps what the original language was trying to do. It says, undiscerning, undiscerning untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. All words that start with you, which keeps kind of the feel of what the Greek was trying to do. The Greek is asunatos, asuntatos, astragos, and eleemon. Those are the, three, the four words right there. You'll notice that each word starts with the letter A which is alpha in the Greek. And, and some of us remember from school that when Greek or Latin starts with A, then it means the opposite of what the word means, right? So when, when, the letter, when the word starts with A, then it's saying not this or not that or opposite of this or opposite of that. And so that's the, the, the HCSB keeps that, that feel with the way that it says un at the beginning of all of it. It's not exactly the way all English translations say it, but it's they're all pretty close on this. It's not, they're not hard words to translate. But you've got these four words here, and, and you would have caught that in the Greek. These are grouped together. This is saying, this is saying something. Um, and so we're going to dig into these four words, and then we're going to spend a little more extra time in worship today than we normally do at the end of the service. So, this first word. Asunitas. Undiscerning. means unintelligent. It means without understanding, which is the way several English translations translate it, just directly, without understanding. It means stupid, which I know is not a very nice word sometimes. The implication of the word is wickedness, foolishness as in wickedness, stupid as in wickedness, not just unintelligent, but unintelligent in wickedness, foolish, without understanding, senseless, dull, foolish, five times. In the New Testament, five times this word is used. One of those times is in Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew chapter 15, the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? I love that part. Not, why do they break God's law? Why do they break the tradition of the elders? It's a very, very revealing statement by the Pharisees. What they're worried about, what they're, what they're concerned about. So why do they break the tradition of the elders? And in this case, the tradition that they were breaking was not washing their hands before they ate, which was considered a big, a big no-no. You couldn't do that. You were, you were a bad, dirty sinner. Some of you all don't even do it after you go to the bathroom, for goodness sake. But they were getting in trouble for doing it. Sorry, I, don't know. I just kind of slipped out. That's, all, that's a weird thing to me. I don't know. You should do that. That's really gross. <laughs> And so that's, what the, that's, that's the tradition that they're breaking. It, it says that before, before chapter 15. And Jesus says, this is how he answers them. I love the way Jesus answers when it comes to stuff like this. Why are your disciples breaking the tradition of the elders? Why aren't you living up to our man-made traditions? They are important. 
More important than God's laws, God's word, apparently, because that wasn't what they were worried about. And Jesus says, why do you say it's okay not to honor your mother and your father? You tell people if the money that they should give to the temple by law, or that they should use, excuse me, to take care of their money. I can't even talk this morning. Let's back up. The money that they're supposed to use to take care of their mother and father, you say if they give it to the temple, then it's okay that they didn't use that money to take care of their mother and father. Notice in the list it was disobedient to parents, right? That's in several of the lists in the New Testament. Jesus says, hey, you say if they give it to the temple, then it's all good. They don't, they don't, have, to, they don't have to honor their mother and father. That's only in, I don't know, the Ten Commandments, the first part, the very most important things. He says to them, he quotes the Old Testament, and he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. This has nothing to do with the sermon today, but we got to be careful of that. we got to be careful that we don't teach as doctrine the commands of men. We can't let our human traditions and our human preferences supersede into what God says is what is what. That's what doctrines are. Doctrines are teachings, official teachings from Scripture. He says, why? They worship me in vain because they're teaching as doctrines the commands, the commands of men. And then Jesus goes on to explain that it's about the heart, it's about the soul, it's about the character of inner man. Not, not keeping up perfect outward regulations that man has made up that make us look and feel good and superior to others. Not that, it's about what's inside, it's about transformation. And then Peter, and I bet it was Peter because the other 11 were too chicken to come ask. Peter gets the, gets the downfall here, but I think it's just because Peter was the only one with enough guts to go ask the question. Peter says, uh, what did you mean by that parable you just said? We don't understand. And Jesus says, are you even, are you even still lacking understanding? Are you, even you, Peter, are you still lacking understanding? Same word. Asunatas. Same word. Same story, same word is used also in Mark's gospel. Same exact thing. And then the other three times this word is used is in Romans. All used in a sense of lacking understanding. Lacking understanding. It's related to the Hebrew word nawal. Nawal. Okay? And that's in Isaiah 32.6. Check out the same concept being used in the Old Testament. Isaiah 32.6. For a fool, nawal, speaks foolishness, nawal, in his mind, plots and, and and his mind plots iniquity. He lives in a godless way and speaks falsely about the Lord. He leaves the hungry empty and deprives the thirsty of a drink. In other words, the undiscerning person, the person that lives with the sunditas, the undiscerning person says, meh, live it up. Meh. Do what you want. Meh. Life is short. YOLO. You only live once, baby. Live it up. Hey the, hey, the most important thing is to make memories. We say that sometimes. No. The most important thing is to live right by God. That's the most important thing. To live for God and to live His ways. And any other thing that we put above that is foolishness. 
It's living with the sunadas. It's foolishness. It's undiscerning. It's without understanding. Paul starts his letter to the Philippians, the church at Philippi, like this, with this verse. Verse 9, And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and in every kind of discernment, so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here's the way the, the Holman New Testament commentary says it about this verse. Christian love must be rooted in wisdom from God's word if we are to love both God and man in greater ways. That's what discernment is. It's living and loving according to how God says to live and to love. Not what sometimes we consider to be love, but the way he says to do it. When we, when we examine, like it says, Paul says here, when we examine and test things to make the best decision possible, we show a life pattern that is pure and blameless. Not perfect or sinless, but desirable. I'll say that one more time. When we examine and test things and then try to make the best decision possible based on what God says is best, when we do that consistently, we show a life pattern that is pure and blameless. We show a life pattern that is desirable even to a sinful world that won't admit that sometimes. Here it is. If you're, if you're wanting something to tweet this morning or you're taking notes and you want something, here it is. A discerning disciple makes decisions daily that develops a deepening desire for our deliverer. Now that's all alliteration right there. That took, me, that took me like three days to come up with that. A discerning disciple makes decisions daily that develops a deepening desire for our deliverer. And not just for the person making the decisions, but for everyone with whom those decisions affect. Here are some things that sound like love, but really come from a place of undiscernment, a place of foolishness, a place of living without understanding. We'll just do whatever makes you happy. Well, just do whatever makes you happy. I just want them to do whatever makes them happy. What, what do we know about happiness? What do you know about true happiness? What do we have? How, how in the world could we possibly have any idea about what will actually bring us true fulfillment in our own understanding? Since, since when did happiness become the number one priority of Jesus' followers? Can someone tell me that? Someone that's lived longer than me? When did it become the number one priority for us to be happy as Jesus' followers? You know what that is? That's a hedonistic view of life. That's a hedonistic view of life. No. Follow Jesus. Make that our number one priority. And he'll take care of the fulfillment in our life. And he will give us life everlasting. And yes, you will experience happiness sometimes, but happiness is fleeting and chasing happiness is foolish. Chasing happiness and pleasure and the things that you think will bring and I think will bring that the answer to that emptiness that is inside of human beings is a foolish, foolish, foolish way to live. And we can't 
that can't be what we promote. We can promote purpose and meaning and joy and fulfillment and the things that really matter. But if we're chasing happiness, we're chasing something that is fleeting, that is consistently running away from us no matter how hard we run after it. We can't be foolish like that. Here's another one, because I know you, I could tell you love that one. Some of y'all were sneering. That's all right. I, I, I've said that. I'm not standing here acting like I've never said these things. Hey, we already said this once. Say it again. Hey, you only live once, so live it up. That, that sounds like you care about the person. Hey, you only live once. Man, live, a, live it up. Live this life. Get after it. Go after it. Live it up. That's not true. It's not true that you only live once. You only die once. You live twice. That's true. You don't live once. You live twice. And this first part is like a vapor, God's Word says. And the second part, well, it never stops. So maybe we better be considering the second part more than we consider the first part. Maybe we should take that part seriously. You only live once, no? <laughs> you only die once. You live twice. This physical first life and then the eternal life. We, we might want to make sure we are living this life for God as well as possible since the next one's going to be slightly longer than this one. That would be living wisely, not foolishly. Here's another one. Follow your heart. Dusty's preaching today in Charleston. I wish he was here because I know, I know he likes this verse, Jeremiah 17, 9, and I know that he can't stand it when we say this in society. Don't just follow your heart. What do we say when we say that? We're saying be guided by your feelings. Since when are we to be guided by our feelings? Where has God's word ever said that? Just, just follow your gut instinct. Maybe. Maybe you're assuming something that's incorrect. Just follow your heart. No, that's probably not the wise way to do it. Here's the thing. If we're following our feelings, we're following our, our limited understanding of what anything is and anything that is taking place. So we better be looking to something outside of and better than and more capable than our heart. We better be following something that is bigger than, better than, and more capable of knowing what it is to do it right than our heart. Because Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So, so Maybe you don't feel like you're living foolishly, but, but maybe we're letting some things creep in there that are pretty dangerous tenets in which to live our lives. Second word. Whew, we're moving right along. You're all loving this just as much as you love the gospel, and I can tell. Huh. Assume that those. Untrustworthy. It means uncompounded or simple. It means faithless. It means treacherous to compacts or covenant breaker. It means untrustworthy. This is someone who you can't count on. That's someone that's untrustworthy. Couple questions. Are, are you someone 
that the body of the church can count on? Can can your brothers and sisters in Christ count on you when it matters most? I mean, untrustworthy. Maybe you're not what you would consider a liar. But are you trustworthy? We say things like, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't like it killed anybody. When we live unfaithfully in situations, well, it wasn't like, it wasn't that big of a deal. But then Jesus says this in in Luke 16, 10. Because don't listen to me, listen to what he had to say. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. And that's the, that right there is the entire point of this series, these pretty little sins. Jesus takes it all seriously. Every bit of it is why he had to shed his blood. So maybe someone wouldn't call you a liar, but would they call you untrustworthy? Would they call you unfaithful? Here we go. I'm going to meddle a little. You ready? If they had to tell you something private, they had to tell you something that had to stay confidential. They had to tell someone something that had to stay confidential. It was very important. It was very private. It was very personal. Would they think of you as someone they could trust with that information? They should. Every single one of us, as a follower of Jesus, should be the person that someone says, I have to tell someone this. I have to get this. I have to process this. But I can't have it go anywhere else. I'm going to go to because I know I can trust them. That should be every single one of us. Or would they consider us a blabbermouth, a covenant breaker, someone who is untrustworthy? Point being, this ain't no pretty little sin. Moving right along. Astragos, unloving, without love, heartless, hard-hearted towards kindred, hard-hearted towards kindred. This word is saying someone that is hard-hearted towards the ones that they should take care of the most, hard-hearted towards kindred. Or it, it literally means without natural affection, which is the way the King James says it without natural affection, without affection in a situation where anyone would have affection, without natural affection. Check this out, 2 Timothy. But know this, difficult times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Verse 3 in 2 Timothy 3. Unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, Reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. Unloving, same word right there, astragos, and used at the beginning of verse 3. What are, what are we called to be? As followers of Jesus, what are we called to be? Paul, Paul says it this way in the same letter to the Christians in Rome in, in chapter 12, the same book that we started in today. Chapter 12, verse 9. Love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
And I wonder if you might be thinking, well, I'm not unloving. I mean, I'm a Christian. That's kind of our thing. I'm not unloving. I care about people. I care about people. Notice here, notice here what it says. It says, to show family affection to one another. To show family affection to one another. What is family affection? <laughs> you know what it is. It's, it's how we put up with each other in our families because they're family. And you keep loving them anyway, even when sometimes you just want to strangle them. But you don't because they're family. And you continue to love for them and you continue to care for them. That's family affection. You know, they say you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. Right? We just hang in there with family. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what love must be. To one another. Not just to our family. It says to one another. We, we're, not, we're supposed to love like that to the church. That's what the one another is. Not One another doesn't mean every single person you ever come in contact with. It's talking specifically to Jesus followers loving other Jesus followers. Jesus followers taking care of each other. I want to ask us all to think about this question. We say we care about people, and many of us do, and, I, and I'm not trying to just beat us up here today, but we say we care about people, but here's one question, and I hope it gets under your skin as much as it got under mine. Do you care about people, or do you care about your people? Do you care about people, or do you just care about your people, the ones closest to you, right there within arm's reach. You, you do nice things for people in your circle, I have no doubt about that. You sacrifice for them, you are kind to them, you serve them, you pray for them and with them. You go out of your way for them, for your people. What about the single mom? One of the most vulnerable sex of people in our society these days. What about the single mom that's hanging on by a thread and she shows up at church? This church, any church, nearly every church. And they just need someone to care about them, to sacrifice that little time for them, to pray with her. Do you show up for her? Or, or, or like the skit that Dusty did, some of y'all remember? The skit that Dusty did several months back, leading into a sermon that he preached. Like that skit, are, are, you, like, are you like the ones that were in that skit that were like, what's she here for? How'd she end up single anyway? You know what I mean? You know, she's probably just here looking for somebody to shack up with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Guess what, church? People can feel it when that's your heart. And shame on us for ever, ever looking down on someone who's just trying to make it in this world just like you and just like me or anybody else. Nobody has ever been radically changed for Jesus because of the judgmental heart of supposed Christians. Somebody better write that down. 
If I was my preacher back home, he used to have an amen sign. He would have held it up right then because he would have got an amen one way or the other. Nobody ever has been radically changed for Jesus because of the judgmental heart of supposed Christians. But, thank you, sir. But being disarmingly kind, being disarmingly kind, doing good for someone, especially when they could never repay you or you would never get any recognition for it, loving like Jesus, that's been radically changing people. That's been radically leading people to a relationship with Jesus for nearly 2,000 years now. And that is still the same formula that works today. Being radically, disarmingly kind to someone, especially when they don't deserve it. Especially when they can't give you something back. Especially when no one will ever know that you did something kind for that person. I love the further description that Paul gives of this right here in this verse. Outdo one another in showing honor. The word here is time, time, excuse me. The word here is time in the Greek. The same word Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 6, 20 when he says, For you were bought at a price. Time. You were bought at a price. That at a price, that's time. That's the same honor that Paul's talking about right here, showing honor. Same word. It means the same thing, but we have multiple words for it in English. Honor here, add a price later. So what? So what am I saying? I'm saying do things for others at a price. Do things for others that will cost you something. Most of the time when it comes to honoring each other, what it costs most is our pride. Because you're lifting somebody else up and not you. I would be lifting someone else up and not me. That's what honor does. That's what doing something at a price, Time does. Costs us a little bit of our ego most of the time. We were bought at a price. We were bought at a price, church. Jesus paid a pretty high price, the highest price for us. And it is essential. It is essential that we pay the price for one another in this body. Here, we must honor every body not just who we think is somebody these kind of messages they they tend to leave us quiet I understand last word here fourth word Aneli Amon Aneli Amon without mercy merciless ruthless having no compassion unmerciful remember all these words start with an A right so they're the opposite of the root word. The root word here is Eliamon. Eliamon. Same word, same word used in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the Eliamon, for they shall receive mercy. Eliamon is the noun used here for merciful. And the same word, but in the future passive plural tense, is used for mercy at the end of this verse. What does that mean? The future the future passive plural tense is all, plural, will receive passive because they didn't do it. Future will happen. It will happen. All who are merciful will receive the same mercy again in the future. Often in this life, but not always. But more importantly, at the time of judgment. Most importantly. 
Jesus followers give mercy because Jesus followers want that mercy from the Lord. That's why we do that. That's how we can do that. Hebrews 2 says it this way. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. Jesus, the Son of God, has suffered all that it is to be human. That's what this verse is saying. Jesus, God the Son, has suffered all that it is to feel and be human. Even though he did no sin, he felt the weight of sin and suffered God the Father's wrath for sin for you and for me. Therefore, he has become a merciful and faithful high priest. He knows suffering truly, and he wants to alleviate suffering in this life. That's what compassion is. He wants to alleviate suffering as much as we all will submit to allowing that to happen. And we are called as his followers to do the same, to alleviate suffering in the world, to be merciful, compassion, ease the suffering of others. Often, often, just like Jesus, at the expense of suffering ourselves. So, Sum it up, and we'll finish in song. Four words. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Most of the time, things that we feel like we do a pretty good job of. And honestly, most of the time we do. I don't, I don't think anyone would say that this church is not a loving church. doesn't show mercy. That we're full of people that just are untrustworthy or are foolish. I don't think that's the case, and that's not the point. The point is, these are things that we can kind of take for granted in our lives, and we can't do that. We can't do that. And I'll finish up with one question, and we'll be done. Why would anyone do all these things? Why would we even be concerned about these little bitty things we consider to be little bitty things? In a world that is so hard to survive, in a world where pleasure and comfort are at our fingertips all the time, we have one life to live, and it's very brief. So why worry about being wise and honest and loving? And why in the world would I have mercy on anyone, especially someone that hurt me or hurt those I love? Well, here's a strange answer coming from a preacher. You shouldn't. You shouldn't be these four things. If all the things that I just said are true about life and nothing else is true, then you shouldn't be these four things. It makes no logical sense to put others ahead of yourself, to do any of these things. But if Jesus is the Son of God, <coughs> excuse me, if he came and did what he said he did, and if he was who he said he was, and if, like he said, he left heaven and came to earth, born as a baby, grew up and lived a perfect, sinless life as a God-man, as the God-man, and then willingly submitted to God the Father his life for the forgiveness of your sin and the forgiveness of my sin by shedding his blood. 
buried in her tomb, rose on the third day, spent 40 days on earth after his resurrection, witnessed by hundreds and hundreds of people, and then ascended back to heaven and said he was coming back for all of his saints to rule and reign forever and ever and ever after judging evil. And if, he said, his followers should live like this through faith, that suffering now is incomparable to the everlasting rewards of being in his presence forever. If, if, if that's all true, and I believe with every fiber of my being that that's all true, then because of Jesus is why we should care about these sins. Because of Jesus is why we should care about these nasty little things, getting them out of our heart and out of our lives because they hurt us, they hurt people, they grieve the Holy Spirit, and they caused our God to shed his own blood to pay the price for them and for every other sin ever committed. Jesus, that's why we should care about these four words. I'll pray for us and we'll finish in song. If you need someone to pray with you, Stuart will be here available. If you need to make a decision for Jesus today, we pray that you will. Lord, we come to you today. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you love us, that you care about us. We thank you for Jesus, God. We thank you that...